Otherwise, with Nancy Richards. Otherwise, it is with me, Nancy Richards, here on SAFM Talking Women. Team today, well, I'm Nancy, and uh, together with Keith John and Lon Wabofani on the other side. And we have just two women on the show today, each with very different stories of raising children. First up, Dr. Linda Friedland. She's a very well-known medical doctor. She's a speaker. She's an author. She's also a mother of five. And she'll be giving us some advice or some thoughts, certainly, on raising teenagers, as she does in her book, which she's called Whatever, Mom, Body Piercings and Other Power Struggles. And if you're a parent of a teenager, you'll recognize the title, if nothing more. Uh, Incidentally, she does have children of her own, two of whom are teenagers, so she really has been there, done that. After that, very much at the other end of the age range, little Sarah Hope is just 18 months old. Amazingly, because when her mother was three months pregnant, she was told she would surely miscarry and that something was desperately wrong with the baby. Well, she didn't. Sarah Hope was born with TAR, thrombocytopenia absent radius, which occurs once in 100,000 births. But she's a survivor, and we're going to be hearing more. We're going to be chatting to her mum, Lee Berg, so stay with us for all of that. Don't forget, if you want to give us a call, share your thoughts on any of the above, 0892102010 is the number to call, 0892102010. Well, what's news? The Varvi family celebrates as rape charge is withdrawn. This woman called me a liar. He says of his accuser, who allegedly tried to extort two million rand from him. Well, as we heard on the show yesterday, if you were listening, rape and all that goes with it is a security threat to this country. It's derailing our very stability. What a sad, sad state of affairs. And with Women's Month around the corner, just two days away, let's hope that some light and hope perhaps will be thrown again on rape in all its forms at this particular time. But the one thing I have to say that really has saddened me about presenting this show is the number of times we've had spoken about rape in whatever shape or form and all the ghastliness that goes with it. It's not that women are only rape statistics because there's so much more than that, as we certainly know. But how hard it is for a gender to show its very best when however many seconds or minutes it is, each and every one of them gets raped. Ish is all I have to say. And just lastly, just in case you didn't catch it yesterday, I am leaving Otherwise as of the 1st of August. So do join me and our brand new Otherwise presenter, Shadow Twala, on the show tomorrow as we say hello and goodbye, which will be very nice. So do join us for that. But right now, it's Otherwise. Stay with us. Otherwise on SAFM. So talking today first up to Dr. Linda Friedland. She's an author, she's a medical doctor, she's a speaker, she's a mum, and she has five children, two of whom are teenagers, and she's written yet another book. How she finds time to do it, heaven only knows, but the book that she's now written is called Whatever Mum, Body Piercings and Other Power Struggles. It's published by Tafelberg, so uh, I think if you're certainly, if you're the parent of a teenager or a parent of a soon-to-be teenager, Keep your ears open because I think she has some very valid points to make and lots and lots to teach us all. Hi, Linda. How lovely to have you on the phone. Thank you, Nancy. Lovely to be speaking to you. Good. And just to to let you know that Linda is actually many millions of miles, really thousands of miles away. She's uh, presently in Australia. But um, but nonetheless, I think what you've got to tell us about raising teenagers is a global, uh, global, universal issues. Yes. Sure is. Um, interesting about you, Linda, is that we've spoken a number of times over the time here on Otherwise on the Women's Program because your focus has very much been from the woman's perspective. In fact, I think that's it was great. from that's you the first time I heard that expression, tat, which stands for yes, tired all the time. <laughs> and it's kind yes. of stayed with me, not, not the fatigue syndrome, but certainly, you know, I remember you, the, concept. you know, the concept of it. And as a mother of five children, I imagine that that tat syndrome um, dogs you from time to time. It's 
it certainly does. And, uh, you know, as we've discussed uh, with all the previous books, one has to find uh, find moments of opportunity, you know, windows of opportunity to, to rest up in between because otherwise it becomes relentless. I must say with my children, they are a bit bigger. So, well, they're all bigger, two teens and three are, you know, beyond their teens, so they're quite resourceful and uh, they need to be particularly much more independent when we're living abroad. Um, but I do have another little one in addition to the five children. I have a grandchild now, so oh, and they also staying here, living here at the moment. So I am busy, busy again in between work. I can only, ima- I can only imagine that your um, your writing capabilities will probably go full cycle, and you'll probably start with babies all over again. <laughs> I don't know. I thought about it, but I think I'm going to move on yeah. to leadership and corporate uh, corporate issues, business. Maybe more, a more business focused. Okay, or even on to <laughs> men, which would be a new focus altogether. Yes, well, let's, Linda, let's talk about what we're here to talk about. Interestingly, yes. you talk about windows of opportunity, and I suppose having a teenager is a window of opportunity. But exactly. I think that, that your feeling yes. about raising teenagers is, is very specific in that it's given a great big, there's a lot of hue and cry goes on around it because it is a difficult period of time. But why did you decide to write this book? What is it about teenage, raising teenagers? Well, you know, Nancy, you've really hit the nail on the head in terms of the window of opportunity because it is an opportunity. It also is a time, you know, that, that is a, a fixed period in time. They don't remain in that stage. Hopefully they move on from that stage to become fully-fledged um, responsible adults but it's a window of opportunity because a lot of growth can take place it's not too late it's never too late although obviously parenting teenagers is a lot easier if one has implemented things like family values family rules a level of respect um, a, a code of a code of conduct and a code of ethics that is a family's way of functioning long before the teenage years come so that when they get to that phase they will challenge the family values, but the values are in place. The problem is when there isn't anything that teenagers don't have anything to, to, to hang on to. Or, to you know, there's a lot of rebellion, but there's no coming back to the middle ground. So it's an opportunity for growth. It's also an opportunity for parents to um, maybe kind of take a step back and have a little bit of a sense of humor. Um, not you know, One must obviously take it seriously, but I think, you know, I, don't, I think there's no one way, as there's no one way to parent young children, but there are some common sense um, practical strategies. This book is written not with me as the expert. You know, I've written it as me as the parent, um, but I've drawn on a lot of data from the experts, research-based um, from the U.S., the U.K., and a lot from Australia, because that's where I'm based now. Um, but they are, as you say, universal. It's a universal thing, but they're universal principles in terms of communication, in terms of value systems, in terms of, although we are fumbling, and I think we, we, we in territory that is as yet unknown, the Internet, the, uh, the digital age that we're in, the lack of, you know, less communication, much more in cyberspace. So I think they're things that not even the experts know. But I think there are some good old-fashioned parenting principles that we can go back to. Yes, you mentioned a few things there, which I think are huge, not least communications, the Internet. um, And I'm absolutely certain that you've got a chapter on um, alcohol and substance abuse, which are, again, universal issues. But I just want to go back to the opportunity thing, because whilst you say it is an opportunity, that's looking at half a glass full, 
it's also for, for some parents they may feel that they've missed the opportunity because as you say if you haven't put all those things in place you're going to see the results when your teenager reaches that sort of teenage period and then you may beat yourself up because you think I should have done it better earlier or then I I think the answer well you know I don't have the answers I have a lot of questions but one of the answers or a suggestion rather than being as dogmatic as, as, as using the word an answer but then possibly a suggestion is if one may feel that one is floundering and there isn't a value system and it all feels like it's coming coming apart and the child is... Well, I think the first thing is that we have to understand that adolescence, what goes with the territory is risk-taking, challenge of the status quo, and and, and they want answers, they want, they, they're searching, plus they are um, trying to establish their own path in the world, and a lot of the time it's, it's at, the t- at the same time dismissing their parents' set of... Uh, rules but that's really testing number one number two they um to answer your question in terms of missing the boat i will come back to it but one more point i want to make before i get to that answer is that they what parents often don't understand and children certainly don't understand is that adolescence is not only a physiological change of hormones and body changes and puberty. It's also a time of massive brain explosion. The Mm. only other time that there is such massive brain reorganization from a neuroscience perspective is in the toddler years, those terrible twos between the ages of two two to three or 19, 20 months until three when toddlers are starting to assert their independence from their mother. There's this massive brain explosion. And what do we do when the toddler does that, when they take their first step, when they say no, when they march around, when they demand? We laugh, we giggle, we clap our hands, we applaud them. Wow, look how clever this child is, because there's something very, very brain clever about what they're doing. But when they sort of start throwing tantrums and and, uh, pushing our buttons in their adolescent years, we certainly don't clap our hands. We tear out our hair. But it's a very similar brain explosion. If we can understand that this is what's happening and the brain is reconfiguring and we can get through this period of time with some of the principles, which the book is just filled with what to do Mm. in every situation. It's a very practical book. It's not an analysis of what is going on. It's a what to do when kids don't listen, why they don't communicate, what to do with the Internet. There's a lot of what to do. But to come back to that very first question, what if you feel you haven't established good ground rules, you're now in adolescence, they're challenging, they, um, they're rebelling, what then? I think then we have to become the adult, um, or not become the adult, we have to behave as the adult, because really what happens most of the time in adolescent parent, mother, father, mother, child, or father, child conflict, parenting conflict, is two selves often they're both going into a, a childhood, almost like a baby self, um, into a power struggle. The parent has to stand their ground and the child has to stand their ground. So the child has a tantrum and the child demands or the teen demands and the parent picks up from that and starts screaming and shouting, I'm your mother, listen to me, respect me, this is what you do, this is my house. And both of them are going at each other Whereas if the parent could take a step back and say, this big person in my home who is 14 or 15 
may already be five, five and a half or six foot, um, a, a big, big physical person who's still actually a baby, is the child and the parent, and I'm, I now need to behave as the parent, which means not to lock into conflict, to take a look at oneself and one's own behavior, to stand one's ground, and to do some simple things like, one, listen. We're not very good at listening. As parents of teenagers, we're very good at lecturing. Teenagers hate lectures. Mm. We need to listen. We need to, they want to be heard, so they need to feel that they, they're heard. We need to back off. We need to know when to say no. But we also need to get across the message that, you know, that kids may, teenagers may say, you don't trust me. You know, you, why, why won't you trust me? The teenager has to earn that trust. So there's a two-way dialogue, there's a two-way um, way of functioning. So the book addresses it. The book is very much written for the parent, but the, one of the main things as a, as a parent, we have to take a step back and say, am I now being the adult in this relationship or am I being pulled into this power struggle um, yeah. and I want to win? In other words, you've got to be, you've got to be big about it. But uh, you say you know, the dialogue needs to happen. I'm thinking that communications... It's one of the biggest, biggest problems. I mean, your title, whatever, Mum, is it certainly says yeah. it all. And there's another chapter that says, "I heard you." Um, yeah. Like you know, it's we just so understand these things. Uh, Linda, stay with us. We're going to take a quick break. We'll be right Thank back you. now, talking okay. to Dr. Linda Friedland about her book called "Whatever, Mum." The first of August this year marks the National Day Against Child Labour. As we commemorate this significant day, let us join hands in raising awareness of all the ills of child labour, as well as collaborating with government in eradicating the worst forms of child labour by 2016. Work performed by children that affect their health, schooling or development is regarded as child labour and therefore it's illegal. Children shouldn't be deprived from getting an education, playing and developing socially, emotionally and morally. Avoid child labour and let our children be children. Some people watch top billing for the fabulous food, others for the tantalizing travel tips, and others watch it for Yanis's abs. Yanis's sweet, smooth, beautiful, beautiful, creamy, creamy, evenly tanned abby abby abs. Urgh, I bet they smell like coconut. <laughs> um, yeah, whatever your reason for watching, remember Top Billing is back on Thursdays at 8.30 p.m. Only on SABC3. SABC is inviting potential suppliers to submit proposals for the supply of two times eight ton trucks. Tender documents are obtainable from the 2nd of July 2013 between 8 and 4 upon receipt of proof of payment of a non-refundable fee of a thousand rand made to SABC Limited at ABSA, account number 284 Branch Auckland Park, reference number SGE, forward slash 08TT, forward slash 13, forward slash 05. Closing date, 2nd of August 2013 at 12 noon. For inquiries relating to collection of documents, contact Tender Office on 011 714-4764 SABC Radio Park Henley Road Auckland Park Johannesburg For more information go to our SABC website www.sabc.co.za Otherwise on SAFM Otherwise, where we're talking teenagers, talking to Dr. Linda Friedland, whose book is called Whatever, Mom, and it almost makes me want to have an, a teenager so that I can apply these things that I missed out on at the time. I have to just share this story with you. Um, 
Linda, because I was at the uh, supermarket checkout just the other day, and there was a lady yes. standing behind me with her teenager, and she said very loudly in a voice that everybody could hear, I'm not against you having a tattoo. I just think you need to be careful. I will go to the tattoo parlor and check out that it's clean and wholesome. And I thought, oh, couldn't you have shared that with her somewhere else? And, you know, the <laughs> idea of her taking control of the tattoo, yes. I just thought, oh, dear, oh, dear. <laughs> Just had to and the share way that you with... said that word whatever was very polite, Nancy. You went whatever. When they say it, it's whatever. Yes. And in, in fact, the title in Afrikaans is even better. It's Ahmar. Yes, yes. Absolutely. So it's really that insolence. There's so many different aspects, but I'm just going to try and let's see if we can touch on three. Um, one, of, one of them is communications. One yes. of them is morals and values. And the other one is alcohol and substance abuse. So let's, yes. let's in the seven minutes we've got left, let's start with communications. Okay, well, I think that um, we, we, we need to keep quiet a lot more than we need to talk to them, and that maybe gives the teenager a bit more space to actually start talking because we feel like communication is telling them things and saying, let's have a chat and let's talk about this. And I think that they just sometimes we need to back off, and when we truly back off, we allow some space for them to communicate. I think when they are talking, the best way to communicate is actually to listen to a teen. The best, you know, it's really, it doesn't mean you don't say anything. It means no correction, criticism, or rebuke. Because we often jump in and butt in. Oh, back, back, but why could you? You know, rather than let them finish the whole thing with the swear words, with the anger, whatever it may be, they want to be heard. So I think it's letting them finish and then going, in, you know, instead of sort of psycho, psycho babbling along and you mustn't do that and you should do that and we, we don't need to correct all the time. I think it's giving the space. I think also we need to, um, one of the things that uh, an Australian expert who did forward for my book talks about, he says that we need to create space for communication, mm-hmm. the actual physical space, and that sometimes means changing the environment that if home is not a place where they talk, it's making a date with a teen. So to go out for a, for a milkshake or a cup of coffee or a meal, they don't really want to hang out with their mum, so don't do it on a Saturday night or on the weekend where they could, you know, meet with friends, but somewhere where it's sort of off their beat, um, but a little bit of privacy and truly listen to what they have to say. Um, it doesn't mean we condone it. I think with communication, there are two other issues we want to talk about in a short while. An important area is that nothing is taboo. One of the rules in our family is we can talk about anything, and sometimes people are shocked at the level of conversation because it is so frank, and everybody's shouting out at the same time, I think that, and what do you think of gay marriage, and the 14-year-old is part of it, and, and oh, my goodness, have you seen? So, so everyone's talking and everyone's communicating. It doesn't mean they do certain things. So whether it's talking about unusual sexual practices, or whether it's drug abuse, or it's about uh, sexual preference, I think a lot. And conservative parents may have a big problem with this. But as best as possible within the structure of your family, allow as much open discussion as possible. I personally think that is the breeding. Well, that's the breeding ground for for good values, because they know that home is the place where they can bounce off anything. And when the discussion is finished, you can say, this is what we believe. This is our religious belief, or this is our moral belief, or this is an absolute no-go, and this is a, you know, these are absolute non-negotiables, these are negotiables, this is what I feel. 
but allow the, the conversation to take place. Which brings us on to your next question, which is... Uh, but just before we get on to that, and I tell you what, if, you, if we're going to steal another few minutes after the news headlines, because there's only so much we can squeeze into this time, but right. I just, just wanted to come back to the thing about be quiet and listen. Um, very often the problem is that they don't speak even if you take them out for that milkshake, even if you create all the writing, even if you go and sit on the end of the bed and, and sort of yes. say, do you want to talk to me? Yes. It's sometimes they just don't speak, and that can they be a real open problem. Up. Yeah. Then, it, uh, uh, I mean, there are a lot of creative ways, and there's lots of tools and techniques in the book and suggestions, but some way to do it is to, two simple ways, is one, try and find common ground that try and find some interest in something that they are interested in. Get into their space because they're not going to get into our space. So whether it's music, it's, you know, my 14-year-old my, 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 yeah, my is really interested in, in retro music, 70s and 60s and whatever, and he came screaming up the stairs, Mom, I found a song you're going to really, really, really like. Because, you, know, I, you know, I'm always telling him I like that kind of music. And have you ever heard of Bob Dylan? So I, tr I tried for a period of time to show an interest. And I mean, we've moved on to other things. So I think as a parent, it's difficult. I mean, we're not really interested in skateboarding and, you know, cyber games and things. But it's, it's trying to find some point of common interest that we can talk to them about their stuff, even if it's reading about it, to stay in the game. Um, you know, stay in the game is, is, is one of my, my advice yeah. points. The other thing is maybe even use a TV show. You know, someone's up, I mean, I heard you speaking about rape and it's just, an abomination in South Africa that one just, you know, mm -hmm. it's just a huge issue. But talk about it. See someone, someone's up, you know, something on the news. Come and watch the news with me. And what do you think of this? What do you think about this incredible sportsman? What do you think of this, this role model who's, you know, our, our captain of, of whatever team who's up for rape now? You know, let, what is your opinion on it to the child? So uh, it could yes. be just watching a TV program. It could be finding a common interest. So it's not necessarily a classic conversation that we as adults like to do, like let's have a chat over a cup of coffee. Yeah. I suppose another opportunity, I mean, when you say, you know, stay in the game with them, it's, it's sometimes, when I'm talking of the Internet, an opportunity to say, can you come and help me do this? Can you exactly. show me how Exactly, they are ahead yeah. of us in that. Yeah. And that's why I encourage pa pa um, parents to really know what's going on on the Internet. You know, instead of saying, oh, they can't do Facebook and they, but, you know, I don't like that and I don't like that, it's do you know how Facebook works? You know, get on Facebook even, even just to learn the skills. I did get remember into the game where they are at. I, I did remember hearing about um, a woman who's son, I think, unliked her on his Facebook page. Cause she <laughs> no, they don't like to be friends with you, exactly. but have your own friends uh, <laughs> for an advice. Linda, do stay you know, with us. We're going to just quickly take a break for the news headlines and we just have a few minutes you. to sit. Maybe we can do alcohol and substance abuse and morals and values very quickly one in one. <laughs> stay Thanks, with us. Nancy. You're listening to Otherwise here on SAFM. Whatever, Mum, is the uh, title of Dr. Linda Friedland's book. We're going to be talking to her uh, just briefly again in a little while. We're also going to be talking to Lee Berg, who's going to tell us all about little Sarah Hope. So Stay tuned. News headlines time right now with Utsile. Thanks very much, Utsile. But right now you're listening to Otherwise. In a minute, going to be talking to Lee Berg. She's mum to Sarah Hope, and she's written a very, very impressive blog, which I think a lot of people will find particularly interesting, interesting uh, if they, especially if they are young mothers, for all sorts of reasons. But right now we're talking about uh, when you have a teenager in the house, Dr. Linda Freeland. So, Linda, um, alcohol and substance abuse, morals and values, 
what, what does one do about alcohol and substance abuse? Because it comes as part of the, the deal it's with huge. that massive brain it's huge. explosion. It's huge. It goes with the territory and binge drinking and risk-taking, and it's, it's, it's a huge problem. Very hard to do it justice in a few moments, but just one or two points. Um, firstly, parents need to look at their own attitudes to their own drinking because we can't have a strong attitude against drinking if we, you know, you mustn't drink, it's dangerous for you, but Dad, you know, drinks three or four brandies every night or finishes a bottle of wine every night or child sees the dad drunk, you know, with his friends or the mum. So I think the first thing is to take a look at our own behaviours and what, what non-verbal messages we're giving. The second thing is that um, teens, the vast majority of teens are going to drink and possibly are going to binge drink. We not, may not stop them by micromanaging them and watching what they're doing. That doesn't mean that we step back. So I think the issue is surveillance needs to take place. We need some understand. Don't stand back, stay involved, but that may not stop them. The issue with surveillance is know where they're going, know who they're with, um, know what they're doing. You're entitled to that information. When they've built up trust, you know, the teens often say, you don't, but you don't trust me. So if a child comes, says he's going to come home at 12 and he comes home at 4 in the morning drunk and they say, you, you don't trust me, you don't, the issue with a, tr- with, with a teen is you want me to trust, me, trust you, you need to earn my trust. If a teen is a really good kid, we generally know our kids, they've earned the trust, we're not worried. So I think the thing is that we are entitled as parents, and it's, for me this is basic, non-negotiable, where are you going, who, what are you, you know, where are you going to be, who are you with, and around what time are you coming back. Linda, can I just yeah, can I just sort of bash in here again? I'm just thinking, going back to what you were saying about look at your own attitudes towards smoking and drinking and drugs and all those things. Um, you know, it's no good sort of making a big fuss about their habits if you are, are not so yes. clean. But the exactly. you know they're, they're, we've got a country full of people um, in some areas where maybe the mums and dads don't smoke or drink, or maybe they do or they don't. But but the kids may or may not have been exposed to all those things. But you know they hit tick big time and we've got you know drug issues as I'm sure perhaps you do have in Australia but you know the parents aren't necessarily to blame because those things weren't around when they were kids so we're we're stuck with all sorts of things that are out of our ken if you know what I mean yes yes I think I think that what what the research not I think now I'm talking from from data the research shows that lecturing as as I said a little bit earlier teenagers hate lectures so don't lecture on the dangers of alcohol. Have that conversation. Have an open discussion. Ask for their opinion. Allow them, you know, instead of just shutting it down, it's bad for you, have that discussion. What the research shows is that having a conversation at the time or over and over may not stop them completely. But the main impact of talking is that what it's shown is that the, the approach to alcohol and drugs will be more cautious and thoughtful. When they know what is, that it's, it's, it's damaging a de- developing brain, a simple fact. And, you, you know, obviously you can't talk to kids who are already, you know, about 18, many are already alcoholics or addicts. So the conversation on alcohol needs to start taking place very early, 12-year-olds, 11-year-olds. And I understand within the South African context, Everywhere in the world. I mean, it's not a unique thing. It's not a South African thing in the UK, in, in, in Australia, in developing and developed countries. Binge drinking is huge. But in South Africa, there's the added breakdown of, of um, a, a lot of uh, youngsters growing up without parents. So it's grandparents who are the you know, primary care, caregivers. 
So there's, you know, it's, it's very hard, you know, we, to talk about parents, that, the parental roles. But I think the issue is that kids that you can talk to, you can talk to 11 and 12 year old kids. They haven't yet, most of them haven't yet engaged in the risky behavior. And when they know that a, the, your brain is actually going to be permanently damaged, not just through those years, but a, 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 a the brain, a teenage brain is developing up till 22, 23. You know, I guess, I guess what I'm hearing you say is that, you know, don't wait to parent your teenager until they're a teenager. Start parenting your teenager when they're very, very young and sort of, exactly. you know, have focus on on what's ahead of you. Linda, we, uh, sadly, we are out of time, but Running it's been out of time. really interesting. Uh, but it's, it's the way it goes. But I think I was going to say, can people find your website? But I think... Really, the thing to do is get hold of the book because it's filled with yes, so much The book wisdom. is available everywhere in all the bookstores and uh, should be online soon as well as an e-book. And my website is also very easy, lindafeedland.com. Okay. So, um, Super. Hopefully that's a bit of food for thought. And Nancy, all the best. And really it's been an absolute joy over the years listening to you on the radio for many, many years, speaking to you over the years with my books. And you really have been uh, an incredible gem and an asset broadcasting in South Africa. Lovely. Ditto, ditto. Thank you so much. Thanks, Lovely. Dr. Linda Friedland. And uh, if you'd like to check our website, it's lindafriedland.com. lindafriedland.com. The book, once again, it's called Whatever, Mum, Body Piercings and Other Power Struggles. And it's published by Tuffle Folk. Join me, Hilton Tarrant, every weeknight at 6 for the SAFM Market Update with MoneyWeb. With breaking business news, expert analysis, investment insights and the story behind the story, we're helping you make sense of the markets and your money. That's the Market Update, weeknights right here on SAFM at 6. Young people in Swane were asked how long have they been looking for work? Ish, kiss a bag, a man. 2009, been looking for a job since. Yeah, it's long, it's long, it's like a plane. Temple 10,000 is here. The city of Swane is creating 10,000 entrepreneurship opportunities for the unemployed youth of Swane. If you are between the ages of 21 and 35, unemployed and living in Swane, you are invited to become one of the 10,000 youths who will be trained through various skills development program come apply region 2 29th and 30th of july 2013 at mandela hall hamanskrau community center call 012-358-5572 does selling excite you and makes your heart beat faster do you thrive in an environment where you close deals then SABC is looking for a person of your caliber to fill the vacancy of an account executive in the free state and northern cape business development the position is mainly responsible for generating and maximizing sales revenue, as well as meeting monthly and annual sales targets. Applicants must have a relevant tertiary qualifications in sales and marketing, that's IMM or AAA, and a minimum of five years in sales, marketing or advertising industry. Kindly send your application, including a comprehensive CV, to Crystalline Simpson at simpsoncp at sabc.co.za. Closing date, 2nd of August, 2013. Otherwise, on SAFM... Otherwise, it is Talking Women. Well, we've been talking about uh, raising teenagers. We're going to just slip right back to the other end of the scale. Because with me in the studio, I have Lee Berg, who is mum to a nearly 20-month-old, in fact, to little Sarah Hope, who I've been describing as nothing less than an absolute miracle. Lee, lovely to have you with us. Thank you, Nancy. 
Um, let's start with, let's start, let me just read this little bit because I was looking at your blog, which is a very, very informative blog. It's a very sensitive blog and there's a lot to be learned from it for everybody. And you say that the purpose of this blog is to document the extraordinary life of our daughter, Sarah Hope. Right from the 13-week pregnancy scan, Sarah Hope was never expected to live. From that day, we decided to embrace, celebrate, and enjoy every day of her precious life that we were blessed with, even if this was only in the womb. The blog gives an account of her life, our journey, and all that Sarah Hope's life has taught us. Wow, I hope she's going to one day be old enough to read that and enjoy it, because it's it's really quite a testimony. What Sarah Hope has is something called thrombocytopenia absent radius, which occurs in only 100,000 births. So rare, and as far as you know, I think no other instances here in South Africa. Not that any of the doctors that she's been involved with have have come across. Yeah, and in fact, not not so many across the world that, no. that you've certainly come across. Yeah. When did you first know? Let's go back to the uh, the three month scan mm-hmm. that you had. So it was right at the 13 week pregnancy scan. Things were, even though the baby is so small at that stage, uh, it was very obvious that there were things wrong. And um, the skeletal issues were were pre- were obvious. So we could see that she didn't have any forearm bones. She didn't have a radius. She didn't have an ulna. But also in addition to that, she had a tiny, tiny little humerus bone. So we could tell that she basically didn't have any arm bones. But what gave us such a poor prognosis was really that she was severely hydropic, basically swollen. So um, the sonographers measure the fluid behind a baby's neck at that three-month scan, and a baby of that size shouldn't really have uh, fluid kind of uh, greater than 2.5 millimeters, and hers was already at 12 millimeters, and at 19 weeks that grew to 35, so she was basically swollen up like a balloon, and babies don't usually survive that complication, and that's why she was never expected to survive. In fact, it was expected that you would have a miscarriage. Absolutely. In fact, in that same appointment, they called the hospital to you know, tell them to expect that we'd be in for a miscarriage in the next couple of days. What did you feel? We felt pretty stunned. Mm pretty shocked um, did you have any options at that so sorry difficult questions did you have any options what did, had you thought about termination that had come up but at the same time because it was so early and we were expecting her actually to we were basically expecting her to kind of pass away um, even though that was suggested it wasn't there wasn't really any pressure put on us and I think everybody thought the outcome was going, to, was going to be her passing away in any case. So we just continued with the pregnancy because obviously this wasn't an ordinary pregnancy. There were problems picked up and we wondered if we carried on whether we might find out some more information that would be helpful for future pregnancies and later on. And you have subsequently had another pregnancy and you have, do have another little girl. Yeah. Yep, lovely. I'm looking at the picture of the two of them. So I'm looking at uh, Sarah Hope and the fact is that she is absolutely normal except for the fact that she doesn't have arms she has little hands yeah structurally she has little hands she has a tiny little bone that um you can yeah so you just really see these almost hands coming out of her shoulders when i say absolutely normal what is that apart um because you seem to be very au fait with all the things that have gone on you've obviously done a lot of listening to the medical profession um how else is she developing She's doing really well. She is mobile. She's basically bum shuffling around. Uh, the journey towards standing and walking is still going still gonna to take a while because she's got quite lax ligaments and she doesn't bear weight naturally on her legs. There's nothing structurally to suggest that she wouldn't be able to walk, but I think that's just still going to take some time. But the wonderful thing is that she really is using her hands to explore the world. 
somebody had asked me recently if she was functional or with her hands, whether they almost sit on her like little appendages. Um, but, actu- but actually, she is taking her hands to the world and she is using them to touch, feel, to grasp, to manipulate, to make an impression on the world. So she is exploring and learning as any toddler would. Wasn't it interesting to hear Dr. Linda Friedland there talking about uh, teenagers having a massive brain explosion when they, when they get to that stage? Uh, are you seeing what my father used to describe as the light behind the eyes? Are you sort of seeing um, the gleam of excitement for living? Yeah, she's really full of life, um, and she's in a really healthy, wonderful space at the moment. So we are really seeing that, and in fact, that's the it, it, we we kind of feel that we're in a stage at the moment where last year we felt there were there was a lot of time in hospital and a lot of platelet transfusions, and we were in, in the, almost like a medical survival zone. And this year, she hasn't had a platelet transfusion in over six months. So suddenly, we have this little girl who is full of life, wanting to get out, explore, wanting to move around, loves going down, you know, going down slides, going in swings, loves being, uh, moving through space and, and exploring and getting out. So we suddenly found ourselves as parents and needing to get on with that. Just explain the lack of blood platelets, because I think the, the point was that she didn't, she wasn't producing any, and suddenly, all of a sudden, she is. Is that as a result of some sort of treatment, or is that just another miracle in her line of miracles? Well, I guess both. Um, mm. she, the research does indicate that after a year of these transfusions, you might hope to see some improvement. Um, last year, we were having platelet transfusions every, basically every week, and towards the end of the year, that was almost stretching to every two weeks. We were hoping, especially with another baby coming, that that would hopefully stretch to about once a month. And in the majority of cases, the platelet levels actually normalized by about school-going age. But amazingly, since the 15th of January, she hasn't needed another transfusion. I think her platelets are still low, but they aren't at a level low enough to need transfusions. So the timing has just been incredible, and it has certainly been better than we had hoped for. I'm normalizing. Normal is a very difficult word to deal with, isn't it? Because, you know, people use it like... um like it's the, the thing to be striven for, if that's the right word. But I suppose if you if you have what you've had and you've always had it, that is normal for you. So for for Sarah Hope, normal is shuffling around on mm-hmm. her bum and normal is doing what she's doing. How does she... She's still a little bit too young to be interacting, but I'm looking at a picture here with her little sister. How does she interact with, with other children with with other people she is very communicative so she isn't that the typical toddler stage where she can't actually speak um, so we have the usual you know struggles trying to work out what she's saying but she is uh, she's very alert she communicates a lot with her eyes she certainly lets us know that she wants something so she is interacting and sometimes you can't always pick up on it because she doesn't have a, a long arm at the, at the end of which is her hand but she will stretch out a little hand if she's asking for something so we are, we're enjoying seeing her really interact more um, and trying to, like I say, pick up on those signals when she is, you know, moving over to her little cousin and puts her hand on her arm as a way of showing affection. That's uh, quite a small, uh, you know, she is, it's a small, you wouldn't necessarily notice it, yeah. but we're picking up and, and learning to read her. You've obviously picked up and learnt a whole lot about thrombocytopenia absent radius. Um, when, you d- when you fell pregnant with a second child, were you concerned? I mean, is it one of those things that's just a, a flash of it's just a one-off? Is it hereditary? Any idea about where it comes from? Well, I think the, you know, the thing is that 
in these situations, no matter what the statistics say and no matter what science says, if you've had a pregnancy where you've had those kinds of experiences before, um, you are always nervous the next time around. And the, the scans and everything indicated that everything was proceeding, um, proceeding well and that we had a healthy little girl on the way. So that was wonderful. But I must admit that on the day of Libby's birth, we both <laughs> breathed a huge sigh yeah. of relief. And in fact, the guy knew that the same guy knew delivered her and she took her out and she said, see, one arm, two arm guys. <laughs> it's okay. And actually, there were a lot of yeah. similar people there. They're only 14 months apart. So a lot of similar people who had been at the, at the first delivery and we were all aware of that, even though, I mean, I think we've had that experience of also where the doctors are saying certain things and scans are saying certain things and then having a different result. So even though we knew that on record we could expect yeah. a healthy girl to still... You, you, can, <laughs> you can laugh about it now, but I yeah. know it wasn't funny at the time. I bet there was a lot of issues. The purpose of your blog, I, I've been saying, and it's really something to read just because it's kind of inspirational. Does it help you? Does it help you sort of deal with the whole thing? How and why is that working? It's really been important for me. The first thing is, I guess, just to document the story because it is it has been um, quite a unique one. We did a lot of research, and what we decided to do is because, I mean, I had had a miscarriage before, and I wasn't, so I didn't take pregnancy for granted, and I also wasn't sure. I, I had it in my mind that potentially this would be my only opportunity to carry a child when I was pregnant with Sarah Hope. So as we were almost bracing ourselves for this loss, we decided to just embrace and celebrate every day that we had with her. And I, so we, I actually did some research into people who've um, had miscarriages, stillbirths, and who've lost children and tried to really learn from what helped them in terms of their grieving processes and in terms of making memories and really capturing their lives well and beautifully. So that was some of the, um, the reason why we started getting this material together because we were bracing ourselves for this loss. Um, it also became important to me later on, however, I think that we, it, it helped to really just build understanding for people um, in terms of the decisions that we made and how we handled things. So people have been able to see over time the different choices and decisions that we had to make and why we made them. Um, and that has been helpful. And I was aware that many people, there are some people who continue to, to term but with a very clear diagnosis, which, which we never had at the time. This, however, um, was a pregnancy that we had to negotiate not having a diagnosis, not having a precedent for how to deal with when you don't have all this, when you don't know which outcome it's, you know, how, how things mm. are going to pan out. So it was important to just get an idea, what, what, for me, just to document what that journey could look like for other, for other women, perhaps, who might be in a similar situation. Well, if you are wondering what it actually looks like, do read it. It's http for, uh, colon forward slash forward slash sarah hyphen hope chronicles dot blogspot dot com. We'll put that up on our Facebook page. Sarah hyphen hope chronicles dot blogspot dot com. And I think the hope is the operative word. Lee Berg, thank you so much. Congratulations. Thank, thank you on you, your Nancy. wonderful blog and your little girl. Two little girls. You're listening to Otherwise here on SAFM. Next up, it's uh, Shop Shop, the children's program. <laughs> 